It's me again. Yeah. Thanks. Pastor uh, texted me Thursday and he said, I'm going to need you one more week. So <laughs> we'll see if it's one more week. He's doing much, much better, but just too, too weak to uh, uh, prepare a message this week and to uh, be able to be up here. So uh, this may be the last week. Today we're actually finishing up uh, the series that we had uh, started at the beginning of the summer called Summer in the Psalms. And so hopefully he'll be back here next week to start a new series. But for the last three weeks, uh, or last two weeks, um, it, for those of you that were here, um, I've kind of done a little bit of a mini-series within the series uh, called The Way. And so one of the major themes of uh, the book of Psalms is talking about the way. And the way to what? Well, the way to everlasting, eternal, fulfilling life that God intended all along. And I'd never caught the line of the song that we had just sang a few minutes ago, and I'm probably going to misquote it there, but something about um, the glory of creation revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, it is the glory of creation, the idea that he had set before us as his creation, his uh, valued loved ones. It was the glory that was revealed that was once lost. And so when you think about uh, the book of Psalms, it kind of covers all the major themes of life and what we would call uh, theology and our understanding of God and our understanding of how God relates to humans. And so as you go through the book of Psalms and obviously throughout scripture, we see uh, several major themes. And first, starting with God, he was in the beginning and at the beginning, he was before all things, all things were in him and all things existed. And so he was God by himself alone from the beginning. Then he created and he created all things. He created you and I, and we are his created ones created by him and created for him to be in relationship with him. And so from the very beginning, we were created by God. We were designed to be in relationship with him. And we were in part the glory of that creation that was then later revealed in Christ our Lord because what we went and did, we messed it up, right? It was the fall of man. We messed it up. And what we did was step outside of the relationship. It wasn't about the sin of the apple or the fruit or whatever it was that Adam and Eve took a bite of. It wasn't just about uh, you had a conversation with this bad snake and like you're so bad now and all of that, right? It was a breaking of relationship because where there is no trust, there can never be pure relationship. And what they did was acknowledged that we have more trust in the idea that God is withholding from us and that he is not enough. They stepped outside of that trusting relationship that they had full of trust with God and they went on their own way and tried to figure it out their own. And so from that point forward, there has always been murder. There has always been strife. There has always been war. There has always been one person trying to get their way above another person. There has always been stepping on the person below you to elevate yourself and ourselves. There's never been a culture. There's never been a time. There's never been a world that has existed since the very beginning when we fell that was absent of war. There was never a time when our world has existed without the absence of selfishness and lying and deceit 
and jealousy and anger and rage. There's never been a time, and yet we are on a path of pursuing somehow out of this mess, out of this junk, out of all this stuff that we have always known for as long as we've been walking this planet, we are on a mission to somehow experience a fulfilling life, a joyful life, a complete life, lacking nothing as scripture talks about. And so we find ourselves in this messy middle place of, I know the way of where I want to be, but I also know where I am. I know the way I want to be, but then I often end up going in the opposite direction toward what I don't want at all. And the things that I am searching for and grasping for only leave me more empty at the end of the day at times, because there is a way toward eternal, everlasting, fulfilling, complete, absent, lacking of nothing kind of life. And it is the way that he offers through salvation. It was the glory of God revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who offers salvation from this mess, salvation from the junk, salvation from the everyday trials and struggles of life. And we exist together as the family of God. Those who have been called out, we are his people. We are his uh, bride, we are his, and we exist in the context of the church. As messy it is, as it is, as often as we have disagreements from one another, as often as we face things that would want to drive division and wedges between us, we are the bride of Christ. And he says, in spite of all the mess and all the stuff and all the junk, he promised when he told Peter, when Peter uh, was asked, who do you say that I am by Jesus? And, G and Peter replied to him, you are the Christ, the Savior, the Son of the living God. You are the one who is coming to redeem everything that was once lost. You are the one who is our Savior, our Lord, our Christ. And Jesus said something interesting on that knowledge, on that truth, on that understanding that I am that one who is bringing salvation to this world that you have always known and never known how to get out of. I am the answer for that. And that is what I'm going to build my church on. That one truth and that one truth alone, the Christian church, the Nazarene church, the Baptist church, the churches who believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, those are the bride of Christ. Those are the ones who are the family of God, and we are his church. And so this salvation idea exists in the context of what he is building, and we are in it. So as we looked at the way toward this eternal life, we looked at Psalm 119, and in general terms, quickly, I'm going to recap it in one sentence. Here's what it says. Because you have all of my heart, our heart is always the starting place. It's always the beginning. It's always the foundation. We can never fix ourselves, fix our world, fix our family members, fix our spouse from the outside in. It's never about the behaviors. It's never about what we see on the outside. It always has to begin from the inside out. So because you have my whole heart is what David was writing here. All of my ways are now yours. Because you have my heart first, now I'm going to dedicate 
all of my ways to you. And when I commit all my ways to you, I know that the results that are produced in my life are going to be good. They're going to be blessed. They're going to be of you because every good and perfect thing comes from you. And when I give you all of my ways, what I get back in return is a good and blessed life. And that good and blessed life, it doesn't look like wearing uh, the shirt, wearing the clothes, driving the fancy car, having the big house. The good and the blessed life is the life that is consistent It's the life that is strong when things are not going our way and when we don't have the nice car and when we don't have all the things working in alignment the way that we want them to. It's the life where we can stand and remain strong in the face of all the trials of life. That is the way. That is the way that we all want. And so Jesus picks up on this when he actually came here to be Emmanuel, God with us. And he's being asked by his followers, how do, how do we experience eternal life? How do we continue to uh, follow the ways of God? And this is where Jesus revealed himself to be God. And he answered with this in John 14. Jesus answered to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so my question for today is we're talking about the way is what happens when the way doesn't work? What happens when the way doesn't seem to work? When we're told that God can do anything, when we're told that we can pray and we can ask anything in his name and it will be done for us, when we're told that anything that we bind here on earth will be bound in heaven and we see all of these scriptures that he is closest to the brokenhearted and yet sometimes we feel completely brokenhearted and abandoned and like God is nowhere to be found. There are times when we feel like I'm praying for healing, I'm praying for restoration, I'm praying for this thing in my life and yet... It doesn't seem to be working. What about the person who has been hurt and wounded by the church? What about the person who's been hurt and wounded by the church? Because have any of you ever known like angry, bitter church people? Anybody in here? If, if you haven't, if you don't know anyone like that, everybody else is looking at you. You're that person. <laughs> What about, what about the person here who grew up in a home where their mom and dad, they, they loved the church. They, they loved the religion. They loved the system. And they, they looked the part on the outside, but they grew up in a home where nothing looked like that on the inside of their home. It was the, the beautiful picture and everything packaged perfectly on the outside for everyone else, but there was no real substance there. There was no reality to how they dealt with conflict in the home, how they loved one another, how they went each other's way in the home. What, what happens when we find ourselves confused with, by all the unanswered questions in life? And there's so many things that we don't understand and there are so many things happening and, and so many things that happen to us that, that we feel like are going to take us out and we say things to God like, how could you let this happen to me? How could this happen when it seems like Christianity doesn't work what about when the way doesn't work have you ever been to Lowe's or somewhere and you're trying to look for whatever it is that you need and and maybe you know exactly what you need but 
maybe you're trying to just figure it out. And so, you know, you have that dazed and confused look as you're standing there in the aisle. And then one of the workers comes up and they're like, what can I help you find? And, and you tell them and then they're like, oh, right this way, sir. Me neither. <laughs> I've never, ever had that happen. There's never anybody to be found when you actually need help. <laughs> right this way, sir. Yes, I would love it, right? But what if? What if? Wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if that could actually happen? That's what we're talking about. It is the way that when we seem to have no way, when, we, when it seems like we can't find our way, when it seems like we can't get through the mix of all of the stuff, it's creating this resistance and this tension. There's a way that the Bible is calling us there's a way that the Bible is revealed for us through Christ, through God sending his son to earth. It's come right this way. Follow me. Right this way, sir. The thing that I have to come to grips with at times when I'm facing things that I don't want to face, when things are difficult, when things are challenging and I feel out of control and I'm not sure what to do or where to go, I have to ask myself this question. If I'm not experiencing the work of God in my life, maybe I'm not following him. If I'm not experiencing this, if I'm not experiencing the good in spite of the bad that I was promised, that he would work all things together for the good of those who love them, and yet I can't see the good that God is doing in me, maybe I'm not actually following him. I'm not necessarily talking about salvation here, but think about this. Think about the disciples who were called to follow Jesus. He said, come and follow me. One was in a boat. Come and follow me. Get out of your boat and come, come follow me. One was on a shore. Hey, come follow me. One was over here. Hey, leave your family. I want you to come follow me. And so they were following Jesus and they were walking along with Jesus. They saw, they saw all the things these disciples, they experienced God. They experienced him. They experienced the work of God and they saw him with the crowd of 5,000 people and how he multiplied the loaves and the fishes of bread that, were, that existed in one single basket that were multiplied and multiplied and multiplied by Jesus himself as he prayed over these fish and, lo and loaves and everyone that day was fed only for them to find themselves experiencing the work of God for someone else but they jump in a boat and they find themselves in the middle of a storm and run frantically down under the boat and say Jesus what is wrong with you you're sleeping and I'm the, in the middle of a mess I'm in the middle of turmoil I'm in the middle of a situation that I can't get out of and his disciples go and they say Jesus wake up Show up for me right now. Where, where was your faith, Jesus said in response? You just saw me feed the 5,000. You were just with me. So how could it be that they were with Jesus and they were, they were seeing his work and they were observing what he was able to do and yet in a moment of their despair, in the moment of them having to resist all of the things of life that come against us, in that moment, they took a step outside of trusting the very one who had the answer, the very one who wanted to show them the way. And we do the same. When it seems like our faith isn't working, when, we seem, when it seems like we are not able to experience the work of God in life, maybe it's because we're not following him. And there's something that I've learned, and even though I just turned 36 last week, there's something I've learned in my short 36 years. And it's that, that usually, usually in my relationship with God, he is the consistent one. 
And by usually, I mean always. He's always the one who never leaves me. He's always the one who is by my side. He is always the one who is running to me when I'm a long way off. He is always the one who is coming to me in my moment of despair and need and regret and shame. He is always the consistent one and I never am. So if I am not experiencing the work of God in my life, who moved? If I'm not experiencing the work of God in me, Who's not being consistent in the relationship here? It's a tough question. It's hard to look in the mirror. It's hard to think that through. It's hard to take the hit that that kind of does right here. Every time I ever meet with Greg McAfee, I pretty much feel like I just got hit in the gut just a little bit. He's very nice most of the time, but he always asks me some kind of question that makes me feel like I walked away like, oh, he's right. I should have known that. Why am I not do right? And you all have those people in your life. You walk away and you're thinking, wow, they were right. That was hard to hear. They're right. What about when the way doesn't work? If I'm not experiencing God, the work of God in my life, maybe I'm not actually following him. See, we, we have this issue, I think, in our American culture, especially our, our Western culture, where we're called Christians. And Christian has become such a a broad term. It's become just kind of an an overlay. We're a Christian nation or we're a Christian company or we're a Christian university. We're a Christian church. And so we just kind of all get in this group here and we just kind of fill in, right? But when Jesus was calling his disciples who he was leaving here on this planet when he ascended into heaven and he was here no more and he was sending his Holy Spirit and he said, I want you to go build my church. They were not called Christians. In fact, that was a name that was given to them later as a derogatory term. Why? Because Christians are those people that are trying to be like Christ. They're doing it the way that Christ did it and it's weird. These little Christs, we're gonna call them Christians. It was not a good thing. But the very first church, those who followed Christ, they were called people of the way. Which way? The way. Because we do life in a lot of different ways. We, we look for life in what feels good. We look for life in what is comfortable for us. We look for life in what it seems like most people around us are doing or the people who agree with us say that we should do. We, we do things in a way that we live for the pro- approval of other people. We live in a way that we try to avoid conflict at all costs. We live in a way where we kind of resist the thing that we think is too challenging, it's too big, and we cower down in fear instead of that. We, we fall down and we bend our knee to many, many other ways, but this was a brand new way. The ways that existed before Christ were full of what I could do to earn my way to God, to earn my salvation, to earn right standing with God, to restore this relationship. And Jesus came to introduce a brand new way, so much so that his followers were called people of the way. And so much so that his disciples, most of them, most of them, including his very own half-brother, went to their death proclaiming the way. Will you renounce the way? No, I will not. 
and they were killed. That's the kind of faith that the first church had. That's the kind of faith that they weren't just defined by some kind of overarching title, Christian. No, these are people of the way. They do things in a different way than everyone else. They respond to people differently than everyone else. When is the last time anyone has ever turned to you and said, why are you treating me that way? And it was actually in a good way. Like, I've been a horrible waitress to you. I've had way too many tables. We're understaffed. And you just tipped me 50%. Why? Why are you treating me that way? Well, because I see your value behind what you do. And I wanted you to know that I see you're having a difficult time tonight. And this dinner is a lot less about me and me ordering all the food and getting it exactly when I want. And it's a lot more about you knowing that you're valued before I leave this table. That's why I did that. I live this way because Jesus has value on you and so do I. Why are you treating me that way? When is the last time it was spun in a positive way? See, that's how these people lived. It was different. They didn't fight back when they were being persecuted because they knew they could find joy in persecution because they were living for a higher purpose than what was in their face right in front of them. They knew they were living toward a different path, a different way, so much so that they were called people of the way. And so this morning, for those of you who have uh, heard me speak before and definitely the last two weeks in general terms, I use a whole lot of scriptures. (laughs) And so uh, often they like roll their eyes sometimes up there, the screens, right? Because they're like, okay, you have 87 and a half slides. How are we gonna do this, right? Today, I only have two verses, I'm going to anchor everything on two verses. So yes, I'm not using very much Bible and I'm preaching in ripped up jeans. It's a good thing this is my last week, right? (laughs) Psalm 25, verse four and five, it says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are my God and my hope is in you all day long. All day long. Does anybody need an all day long kind of faith? An all day long kind of relationship with Christ who can show us the way all day long? And see, when we look at this passage here, there's a, there's a pattern that I see that's not just a pattern in this one particular scripture, but it's the, the pattern of Psalms, it's the pattern of Proverbs, it's the pattern of scripture as a whole. There's a pattern, there's a way of living our lives where we know that we are following him and we can experience God's work in our lives. There is a pattern here. When I think about patterns, I think about the idea that our life is the result of the patterns we follow. If I were to ask you to get your phone out and go ahead and log into your bank account and you were to look at the number that's in that banking, that bank account, guess what? It's a result of the patterns of how we spend our money and manage our money. Our life is a result of how we follow life's patterns, the the ways that we have chosen to do things over and over in a systematic way. If we were to step on the scale tonight, before we go to bed or in the morning when we wake up, no doubt the scale would reveal to us the patterns of our eating habits. If I were to go look in the backseat of your car, the trunk of your car, your garage, your living room, your bedroom, 
No doubt the clutter that's involved in those places is a direct result of the patterns of our cleaning habits and our organization habits. Our life reveals to us the patterns in which we live our life. It's the day after day after day, how we make decisions, how we invest our time, who we choose to spend our time with. It's the pattern repeated over and over and over and over again. And we see this in this scripture. One of, the favorite, one of my favorite quotes, um, I, I didn't originate it, somebody else, but it says, successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And you, you can define success however you want. If success is losing weight, well, people who are physically fit, they do consistently what other people, some people diet occasionally. Some people eat healthy occasionally. Some people eat vegetables occasionally. But healthy people do consistently what others only do occasionally. And if we were to put in place here successful people who are able to experience the kind of everlasting life that God has intended for us, those who are able to experience the kind of fulfillment in life that was promised to us, those who are seeing God work in their lives and bring about all good things to, to those who love him, those who experience that are the ones who are consistently doing what some are only doing occasionally. It's the pattern. It's the repeated routine, the daily commitment. And so he says, I trust in you all day long. So we see the pattern in Psalm 25. It says, show me, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths and guide me in your truth and teach me for you are my God and my savior. I am not looking to anything or anyone else to save me. You are my savior. You are the one, not what is expected, not what other people think I should do, not the way that is common, not the way that everyone says in our culture is the right way to get the right return, but you are my Lord and savior. And all day long, I'm going to repeat this pattern all day long. I'm going to ask you, God, will you show me? Will you teach me? Will you guide me? Will you show me? Will you teach me? Will Will you guide me? Will you show me? Will you teach me? Will you guide me? Are you getting it yet? Will you show me? Show me. What does show me mean? It means I am open to what I cannot see. If I could see it, I wouldn't need you to show me. If I could get to it for myself, I wouldn't need you to show it to me. See, this show me is a, a posture of my heart that says, God, I need you to reveal to me what I cannot reveal, what I cannot see, what I cannot get to, what I cannot ascertain for myself. I, I need your wisdom. I need your perspective. I need your mindset. I need something that I can't get anywhere else. I, I need you to show me. And so we come to him. And we ask him to reveal the things to us that we cannot reveal to ourselves. And I had a moment, two moments actually, like this this week. Number one was in an argument with Mindy. Anybody married in here? So, all right. Had an argument with Mindy and it wasn't a good one. In fact, we do lots of premarital counseling for people getting ready to get married. And we didn't do any of the stuff we tell them to do in this moment. So we go to bed that night and we... We, you know, you, you kind of make up like enough to know that like we're going to be okay, but stuff's still not really okay right then, you know, like, okay, we love each other. Sorry, sorry, you know, really 
necessarily articulate what you're sorry for yet, but you know you're sorry it happened. <laughs> and so it's like, we're going to be okay, right? So in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, God, can you show me something here that I can't see in myself? Can you show me a way of understanding that I am not able to get to on my own? And this is not to prop myself up in any way, shape, or form. I did go to God in that moment and say, yes, God, I want you to show me. Had I done it best, I would have asked him to show me before the argument, right? So it's not that this plays out perfectly every single time and we do it the right way every single time, but is there a moment in our living all day long? And if our facing of trials all day long, God, could you reveal to me what I cannot see in myself? I cannot get to it on my own. I need you to evaluate the motives and intentions of my heart. The second one, I was on a call with three university professors this week. And as I'm on that call, they're coming on and just kind of small talk before the call. It was on a Zoom call. So we're all like face to face on a computer, right? Um, so we're, we're having this conversation, just small talk before and they're all frustrated because they're all a part of a university and healthcare systems and all these different things where they're trying to figure out what in the world do we do with COVID and what are the right protocols and do we go back to other stuff that we've been doing? Do we implement new stuff? Do we just forget it all? Like, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so the, the one, one lady on there, she's so, um, she's, she's so frustrated because she feels like, she said, I'm just so tired of all the arguing. That's what she said. I'm so tired of all the arguing. You got a whole bunch of faculty and staff that feel like we should do this with our campus. And then you have a whole bunch more that feel like we should just do this on our campus. And all of these people have these opposing ideas. And I just don't understand how to do this. I'm just so sick of it. And then she proceeds to tell what she thinks should be done and which side she's on, which is on the opposite side than I would be on if I was in that position, right? And immediately I'm on the call and I'm thinking, smile, smile, smile. You're disagreeing with everything she says. Smile, smile, smile. I can't believe she just said that. Smile, 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 right? And so I'm feeling myself kind of getting a little angry. I'm getting a little worked up. I'm getting a little frustrated. And as I'm thinking about this, I asked myself this week, I asked God, will you show me something in me that I maybe cannot see for myself? Why is it? See, this guide me part, it's the, it's the part of our heart. In fact, what I'm going to do for each of these sections here, and there's only three, but show me, right? I'm going to give you a posture and a practice. The posture is show me. The practice in this guide me area is intimacy. In other words, when everything is completely stripped away, that's how we become intimate, by the way. When everything is completely stripped away and I'm standing here with nothing, it's a completely raw and intimate and real moment. When I'm standing here, God, strip everything away and let me have a moment with you. Show me something I can't see for myself. It's the why behind the what. I know I'm angry, but why? I know I'm feeling frustrated and tense, but why? I know I got defensive in this argument with Mindy, but why? What is it behind the scenes that I need God to reveal for me, the real root of the problem? And when it came to the disagreement of just COVID and the tensions and frustrations or whatever, and there's these three PhD doctors and then like Nate on here with high school degree diploma, you know, and it's like, why are these people triggering me so much? I don't understand what's going on. And God revealed to me that at the root, when everything's stripped away, 
insecurity. It's a feeling of rejection. It's the feeling of not being able to offer value. See, if someone disagrees with me, it means that they don't really have much use for my opinion and what I think. When if they don't really care about what I think about something, then they don't have respect for me. And if they don't have respect to me, then I really have nothing to offer them in return. And if I don't have anything to offer them in return, then how can I have any value and significance in their eyes? Wow. Thank you, God, for showing me what's at the root of that. Because he wants to be my value and significance and worth. He wants to fill that in. And when that happens, all of a sudden, I don't get so triggered by people that disagree with me because I'm okay with who I am. I'm okay with who God says I am. I'm okay knowing who I am in him and why I believe what I believe and why I do what I do because it's the why behind the what. One of the best ways to figure this out, to think through this is what makes me angry, anxious, or frustrated. When you think about the last seven days of your life, what has made you angry, anxious, or frustrated? What has made me angry, anxious, or frustrated? God, will you show me what that's all about? Will you show me the why behind the what? Can you, can you reveal to me what's really going on here behind the scenes? I had to ask myself if I, as I was preparing for this, and, and that's when I, I began to think through this, like when is the last time that I had a real intimate moment with God? Most of the time, to be quite honest, it doesn't happen here on a Sunday morning. But it's God working in this as I ask him every day, God, show me. Show me. Show me in an intimate moment and maybe he'll bring something back that Pastor Mark said in a message or he'll, he'll bring something back that I read in that devotion or he'll bring something back that I had in the middle of that conversation with a brother or sister and they said something really profound and God brings it to mind in that moment because it's an intimate moment where there's a connection made. There's something happening behind the scenes where God is actually changing me from the inside out when we are so good at trying to change everything from the outside in. Will you guide me, God? Will you guide me? David had this kind of moment. It's a very popular piece of scripture, but I, I hope that it has a new relevance, a new value to us when we read it. But Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, search me, oh God, search me. I don't know if any of you have ever been arrested, but there's a searching that goes on during that, right? I haven't either. I've just heard, okay? <laughs> when everything is stripped away, search me, oh God. Search the intimate parts of my heart where my real motivations lie, where my real intentions lie, where I, where I really gain my value and my worth and my understanding, where I, where I really determine the things that I do based on what's happening on the inside. Get, get to that place in me and search me, oh God, know my heart and test all of my anxious thoughts that are trying to get to the way trying to get to the way that I, I know I want my life to be, trying to get to the way that I know God has for me, my anxious thoughts and my toiling and my struggling. God, will you search me and will you start working in me from the inside out and see if there's anything that's offensive in, in me, if there's anything that is bumping up against what you have for my life, your desires for my life, your intentions for my life, your way of bringing about good in my life. Is there anything that is rising up in opposition to that and then lead me toward the way of everlasting? Oftentimes we think when we hear the word everlasting or we th hear scriptures like John three sixteen and whoever calls on him will have eternal life and we, we kind of automatically enter change that word eternal 
or everlasting with heaven. And so we kind of almost start, start living as if salvation, we're just trying to get through it here. Things are really bad here. Let's just get out of this place and let Jesus just come and save all of your children. And we'll just forget about the rest of this messed up world. Just call us to heaven. Let's just go. Let's just get this over with and go to heaven. Everlasting is not something that starts when we take our last breath here and find ourselves in heaven. Everlasting eternal life is a restoration that begins when we experience salvation and we become a brand new creation that does not die. Our bodies die, but our soul lives on and we are now living in an eternal life with eternal value. Our mindset is now on things above, not below. The idea of our life is to begin living in this new creation that God made for us, that he renewed the inside and he made me new. And now I can experience this eternal life that starts as a brand new creation. If anyone be found in Christ, he is a new creation. The old life that brings death to me. The old life that only brings struggle to me. The old life that only brings toil in my life. The old me where I cannot seem to get ahead. The old me where everything is focused on this life and this world. That old me has gone and the new life has come. What life? My eternal life with eternal value, with eternal significance that he designed for me all along. That's the whole plan of salvation, to restore that which was lost, our relationship with him that is unending and never broken. And he says, search me, O God, know me, test my heart, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me that's pushing against your ways and lead me in the way, lead me in the way of everlasting. Teach me. We want him to show us, show me. The practice for that is intimacy. We want him to teach me. What does teach me mean? It means that I'm open to what I do not know. Have you ever had a conversation with someone? Anybody who's had kids? The answer is yes, absolutely to this, right? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you're trying to teach them something, but they already know everything you're trying to teach them? like, okay, sorry, Judah, I forgot you're nine now. You know everything that I'm about to tell you. <laughs> like, I, all right, I get it. What if we came to the table of life and our table in life with Christ, our everlasting life with the posture of teach me? That posture of teach me comes with a practice of humility. Psalm eighteen twenty seven says, you save the humble, but you bring Lo, those whose eyes are haughty. First Peter 5, 6, it says, humble yourselves. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. It's a humility that comes where we're not humbling ourselves to our lack of faith. We're not humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of our insignificance. We're not humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of what everyone says I should be worried about right now. We're not humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of what culture says is normal and right. I'm not humbling myself under the faith that I can't do it. I'll never be able to do it. I can't make it through this. I can't overcome this. I can never be what God wanted me to be. 
I don't humble myself under that hand. I hum- humble myself under the mighty hand of God that can teach me his ways, that can teach me the way to go. I grew up doing construction my whole life with my dad. He's a builder. And so I know how to do maybe 25% of what he knows how to do. <laughs> but I learned a lot of that. And it was just a couple of, of months ago that I called him and I said, I have this issue at the house and here's how I'm thinking about doing this. And I was really careful because I know that he has a lot going on. And I'm like, I don't want you to come to my house, dad. I'm not asking you to drop what you're doing. I don't want that. Like I want, I, I can do this. I can handle this. I just need you to teach me on the phone for just a minute. Tell me if I'm heading in the right direction with how I'm trying to fix this. And so he says, yeah, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a good way to do it. That's probably how I would do it. Maybe you want to think about this, this, and this. And, and then before we got off the phone, he says, I want you to actually stop by my house because I have a perfect tool for that. See, my teacher, he had a tool that I didn't even know I needed. And because I was able to pick up the phone and because I chose to humble myself under the teaching of my dad in that moment, I was able to do something that I would not have been able to do before. And it was a much lighter yoke. It was a much lighter burden to me than it would have been if I had tried to do it on my own because he supplied to me a tool I didn't even know to ask for because I went to my teacher. I went to him for understanding. I went to him and searched for something that I did not know for myself. I humbled myself. When we think about being teachable and if we are teachable, some good questions to ask or things to consider. Do I usually, in most conversations, am I usually the one talking most or listening most? Are people often coming to me for advice more than I go to other people for advice? Do I ever go outside of my circle of understanding to ask how someone else would do something? Do I ever think that my way is the right way? And your way may be right. Maybe a better way to say it is the only right way. Sometimes there's more than right, one right way to do something. Am I always talking and never listening? Maybe if I'm that way with others, maybe the posture of my heart is not one that's able to be teachable before God either. Do I feel like I have to make sure that somebody knows what I know? And I'm always trying to add on. Somebody's having their moment and they're teaching something, but I feel like I have to jump in and I have to add to that. Yeah, 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 but you want to also think about this, this, and this too. Trying to prove ourselves for all the things that we know. Do we have a posture of our heart? Do we often find ourselves pretending like we know stuff that we actually don't? And somebody has an idea and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I thought about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I thought about that the other day. I just wasn't sure. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you. And you're like, you didn't know that. You can tell. <laughs> you feel like we have to. Maybe we're not teachable. Maybe our posture and the posture of our heart is not teachable. If that's the case. That posture of being teachable comes through Humility, show me, show me through my practice of intimacy. Teach me through my practice of humility and guide me, guide me. Guide me means I am open to what I don't want to do. I'm open to the things and the ways of God that maybe I don't actually want for myself in that moment. 
this posture of allowing God to guide us comes through a practice of action. What do I mean by action? I mean, we pursue the things that God is asking us to do, that we know are right to do. We know that his ways are best and we do those and we, re- we leave the results to him. I don't really feel like doing this. I, it doesn't seem like this makes sense, but I'm gonna go ahead and do that and I'm gonna leave the results to you, Father. I'm gonna let you guide me here. It seems like I should probably just, just keep this a secret and, and I'm gonna protect everybody involved by not letting them know what's really going on and, and I don't wanna have that conversation with my wife, but I'm gonna go ahead and take action and I'm gonna do it the way that he says to do it and I'm gonna be honest and I'm gonna be real and I'm gonna be vulnerable and I'm gonna go ahead and be honest and I'm gonna share about it and leave the results to God. I'm gonna go ahead and go his way here when I wanna go my own. When it seems like this one is the path to follow, I'm gonna take action and I'm gonna do what he says to do. And he says, when we do that, when we take that action, when we honor him and we take him at his word to do things his way and to act on that and to move in that, Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp. Your word, your ways, your decrees, the way that you tell me to do this, the way that you tell me to go, the way that you have set before me to go. When I do it that way, I can be assured that there's gonna be light in that direction. Light in the Bible, in scripture, is always interchangeable with life. Darkness is always interchangeable with death. And all of us in this room, we've lived long enough to know that when we don't stop and take a moment and act in the way of his guidance and his plan, it always leads to darkness. Darkness in that relationship, darkness in that career. We end up chasing things that we didn't even want. We end up becoming people that we never wanted to be or thought we would be. It's dark. It's messed up. We know that he wants us to keep our marriage at the front. But somehow we get caught up and we build everything in life except our marriage and our family. And then three years down the road, we wonder why our family is falling apart. And sometimes we even put the enemy's name on it and we say, oh, well, he's just attacking me because I'm doing so much good for God. But it's because we've refused to make the repeated pattern of our life. We haven't come to the place where we've accepted this idea that I want you to guide me. I want you to teach me. I want you to show me. I want you to teach me. I want you to guide me. All day long. All day long. At work, in my home, with conversations, online. My future. My finances. All day long. Show me. Show me why I'm buying this new car. It's because I am so insecure that I want to make sure everybody sees me from a different perspective. So just because I, well, I like cars, I enjoy them. That's fine. It's great. Show me why I'm responding to this person this way. Show me why I'm angry, frustrated, confused, upset, anxious. Teach me the right way to go. I'm humbling myself, be 
below the mighty hand of God and, and him alone. God, will you teach me your ways? I want to be teachable. I don't want to do all the talking. I don't want to come to you with all the answers. I don't want to pretend like I have it all together. I, I want to come to you with a humble heart. I want to be open to learn and receive from people that you put into my life. I want to be humble and open to receive from the way that you want to teach me to do this. And I'm going to take those steps and I'm going to be guided by you. And I'm going to take every day, all day, all day long. I'm going to walk. And I'm going to handle this how I believe you say to handle it. And I'm going to leave the results to you. Psalm 3. 37 says, the Lord makes firm the steps of those who delight in him. The steps are through those, though they may stumble, though he may stumble, he will not fall. There'll be times we mess it up. We step off the way. We do it in our, our feelings like I did in that moment of an argument with Mindy. We start going down the path like I did on that Zoom call. But God, I need you all day long. Could you show me? Could you teach me? Can you guide me? Can you show me how to handle this? Can you show me how to apologize when I've messed it up? Can you show me how to see people with value that I don't trust, that I don't maybe respect in some ways? Can you show me how to give them value and honor anyway because they're yours, even though they're a Democrat, even though they're a Republican? even though they see this differently than me, even though they were nasty to me, even though they were rude to me, could you teach me? Could you guide me to do it your way? And I'm gonna trust the results. I'm gonna leave those in your hands because I'm living for something higher than this world and this life. If we're not experiencing, if we're not experiencing the work of God in our life, maybe it's because we're not really following him. He is the consistent one. Maybe it's time that we step back into the rhythm of following Jesus and we too become people of the way. The way we do it is different. It doesn't look the same as everyone else. It doesn't look the same as we've done it before. So as I pray our servers this morning, they're gonna come to the table and prepare for us to receive communion. And I just wonder if in this moment as I, as I pray and as we're receiving, could we ask God where things are are not in alignment in this rotation, this over and over. God, will you show me, will you teach me, will you guide me? Which, which of those areas, God, do you wanna work in me today? Which one of those areas do I find that, I, that are not quite where I know I want them to be? Father, thank you so much for this moment. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would allow us to be humble in this moment. I pray that we would, we would come to an intimate moment with you right here on a Sunday morning, a routine, regular Sunday morning. You would help us to strip everything away, come to you with no pretense, but only asking you to show us, reveal to us the things that we cannot see, asking you to teach us for the things that we don't know and asking you to guide us in the ways and sometimes we don't want to go, but we know they lead to life. I pray that you would speak to us in this moment. Speak to those areas of our life as we honor and we recognize and we realize what you have done for us so that we could truly experience everlasting and eternal life. This morning, I invite you to the table to receive communion and to pray.